This is iUniverse Radio, brought to you by iUniverse, the leading book marketing, editorial services, and supported self-publishing company. iUniverse Radio is your opportunity to hear firsthand from authors about their new books. It's an in-depth discussion about the author's passion about the development of his or her story in their own words. It's an inside look into the characters and the plot and how the story all came together. Here is iUniverse Radio with host Steve Jorgensen. The title of the book, Samuel Sales, Round the Horn. And the author is Lynn Glaze. And Lynn joins us now on iUniverse Radio. Hello, Lynn. Hello, Stan. Steve. How are you? Very uh, Hello, Sam. Yeah. Sam, that's not cool. Anyway, <laughs> hello, Steve. How are you? Great to have you with us, Lim. Uh, see, we, neither one of us can talk. That's why we edit. <laughs> Great to have you. Start again. <laughs> yeah. Hello, Lynn. Hello, Steve. How are you this morning? Well, great to have you with us. Uh, this is a great story, a uh, great uh, child story uh, about a young man going off to find his, uh, I guess, his fortune. Uh, at least he thought he was, but he mm-hmm. probably ends up finding more about himself. We go all the way back to 1850, and he sails around the Cape, going to California to find gold. Of course, everybody's dream, right? To, the gold rush of 1850, mm-hmm. but he discovers a lot of other things. And so before we get into all the details about what he discovers and some of his adventures and his friends and other characters, uh, Lynn, why don't you tell us why you wrote this book? Yeah, I've always been interested in writing. Even when I was a teenager, I belonged to the Young Authors Club at the Berkeley Daily Gazette where I was growing up in California. And I've on and off, I've been writing all this time, uh, uh, political things and all kinds of things. And then uh, when I, uh, my brother came up with information from the California Historical Society, and on that he found some things that were, uh, they were historical references of my great-great-grandparents. And... I think what happened was that uh, my great uncle was the first president of the California Historical Society, and he had his parents write brief stories about how they got to California. Because he said, you're like, hello, Mom, I've heard these stories so many times. Uh, Why don't we write them down and put them in the California Historical Society? So that's what they did And about... Fifteen years ago, my brother discovered them, and he sent me copies. They are very short copies because they didn't have much to say. And so I used both of these, my great-grandmother's trip across the country in a covered wagon and my great-great-great-grandfather's trip across the, um, around the Horn as uh, opportunities to write children's stories, because I believe that historical fiction is important for young people. Well, we can learn so much from history, and young people today are so caught up in the electronic world, the computer world, the internet, all kinds of games and all of that, and you take them Mm -hmm. back, back to a time when there were no gadgets. That's unthinkable today. (laughs) 
Yes, yes, you had to do it on your own, and that's what Sam does. He just he just runs away from home and uh, finds an opportunity to be a cabin boy on a ship and to go to California, and that's uh, what he wanted to do. And he found out it's quite more difficult than he thought it was going to be. Yeah, he was pretty excited, I'm sure, like any young man would be. But four months. Four months on the open seas, that, that's uh, got to be a wild, wild adventure. Yes, if you were a young uh, person from uh, New Hampshire and you get on the ocean which you have not even seen before, and then it goes on and on and on. I mean, it really, it takes a long time to get to California by sailing ship, and especially around the Horn. So it's a pretty demanding job being a cabin boy. Yes, yes, it was very demanding because especially when some of the people got sick and didn't eat and you had to clean up after them and you had to go through ice and snow to do your job. And uh, when, I mean, he was just amazed that it actually snowed on the water on, in, uh, when you, you don't think about that. I mean, especially if you're 16 right. years old. Right. <laughs> Now, he has a, a good friend, though, uh, on the ship. Is that Jack? Well, Jack is the uh, carpenter on the ship, and he has lost his son, and so he takes a real interest in Sam. So more than he just is, a friend, almost like a son. Yeah, he really, uh, I think that Sam didn't have a great relationship with his own father, and Jack becomes kind of a pseudo-father to him and teaches him all kinds of things that he needs to know to get along on this trip. And then, of course, there's Ben. I guess that's his buddy. Ben is his buddy. Now, Ben is, is a, a privileged boy who is a passenger on the ship, and the two of them uh, get acquainted, really, when Ben goes overboard and uh, Sam raises the alarm, and he is uh, saved. So then they became very good friends because they're only two people that age on the ship. And you say this journey, this sailing adventure, it really sails straight into manhood. He just grows up. He really does. And there's a part in the book where I said he put on his sweater when they get down to the, that his mother had knit for him. Well, it was, not fitting very well anymore because he'd developed all these muscles and he'd grown taller and not not a physically he changed and obviously mentally he had changed a great deal. What age group would love this story? I think anyone from ten to fourteen uh, who is interested in history or anybody who is interested in writing. Uh, my other book uh, sold very well in in uh, that age group that was a girl book this is a boy book so sam at first he's lonely and homesick but uh, he works hard makes friends and he has some eye-opening experiences as you call them what are some of the eye-opening experiences of this young man well the storm at sea and then takes off part of the um, mast, and so they have to go into a port. 
and repair the ship, and he gets off and it's a tropical island. And my goodness, this is something he had never seen before. He'd never seen the type of people that live on tropical islands. And he's just amazed. And then, of course, later going around the Horn, it takes him a long time, and they have a very hard time getting around the Horn because, as you know, sailing ships had to go with the flow and the the uh, water went one way and the wind went the other way and you had to really, it takes weeks sometimes. And then they ha- are get lost on an island and are rescued by whalers. So it's quite an exciting time. Yes, and he ends up working on that whaler ship. Yes, yes, that was an inter- interesting uh, experience for them too. And uh, really working on... <laughs> The uh, descriptions of what you had to do to uh, render a whale when you found it are Mm. eye-opening, to say the least. Yes, yes. He has uh, a lot of people that are supportive, but but he has uh, some run-ins with uh, especially one man on the boat. Yes, there's one man who just feels he wants to get to... uh, California, he should have the airplane because, you know, that's the kind of person he is. I want to be there tomorrow. I don't want to have to deal with this awful weather. I don't want to have to deal with this uh, terrible food. And uh, he just is very difficult to get along with. And he, unfortunately, is Ben's roommate. And so Ben is not a happy camper about that either. So it, it is very good. And then the captain on the whaling ship is most obnoxious also so but the rest of the people kind of take to him and uh, jack takes to him as a as a son and there's a big red on the on the whaling ship who is very thoughtful and kind to both of these kids you know he says stop teasing and giving them a hard time they're not happy to be here let's just use them and and uh be pleasant so they really have a, a good so when they finally make it to san francisco he uh, is really uh, sorry to leave some of these people. Right. They've become close friends. They've been through a lot together. <laughs> he certainly has. <laughs> Boy, you spend that much time together, four months or more. Actually, uh, it was seven months. Seven months because of all the uh, mishaps along the way. Yes. Yes, because they left in October and they didn't get into uh, San Francisco till May. That's really unimaginable for young people today to to think about something like that. When, of course, today we jump in a car, we jump on a plane. You know, everything is so instant. And of course, and, and of course being sixteen years old, he never thought about that it would take that long, right. or it would be that hard. I mean, it's, hey, yeah. this is this is how I'm going to get to California because uh, my friend's uncle is the captain, and he will let me work there. And you know. Uh, Probably like most kids today, they would, well, I'll be there certainly by next week. But no, it didn't work out that way. Sounds like a great book for young people to read, to learn lessons of life. Uh, Take us back to a special time 150 years ago, uh, to the the gold rush days, and of course life on this ship, uh, which offers up all kinds of interesting experiences, more than we I'm sure even as adults can imagine. So it sounds like adults will enjoy it too. Well, some of them do. I mean, I've had people who read it to their children who were in the 
they were like seven years old and they were really interested in it. So it's really funny because my dentist bought he's bought each of my books, and the first time uh, he got it, my my wife bought this book at at the book sale, and he said it's by Lynn Glaze. He said, "Is that you?" <laughs> and I said. <laughs> How many Lynn Glazes do you know? And he was really pleased, and so he he bought one for all of his children. Oh, well, he had fantastic. five children, so you know that's the kind of friends to have, right? That is. And the title of your other book, give us that. It's called Seasons of the Trail, and it concerns my great grandmother's trip across in a covered wagon from uh, Illinois to uh, um, to California in eighteen sixty. Uh, a pioneer woman, my goodness. She's a pioneer woman, age yes. 14, and she has some interesting experiences also, yes. So. I'm sure. Well, Lynn, it's just a delight to have you with us. Lynn Glaze, that's G-L-A-Z-E, and she is the author of her book, Samuel Sales, Round the Horn, and she also is the author of Seasons of the Trail. Lynn, tell us oh. how to get your book. We, both of them are available on Amazon.com, and Samuel is also available as a uh, ebook. Um, e- um, that they didn't have ebooks when the first one was published in 2000. More technology. We just can't. Hard to stay up with, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it certainly is. Yes, it is. Well, thank you so much, Lynn, for being with us on iUniverse Radio. Fine. It's a pleasure. You're listening to iUniverse Radio. We'll be back right after these messages. Hi, everybody. This is Pete Six of Beatles and Beyond. Why don't we all come together and hear some of the tracks off the latest Beatles release on this radio station. Why don't you look up the schedules on this radio station and join me and Beatles listeners everywhere to hear the latest releases from the Beatles on Beatles and Beyond with Pete Dix. Evermore, people have the means to live, but no meaning to live for. These are the words of Dr. Victor Frankel. The inspiration for the movie, Victor and I. That's V-I-K-T-O-R and I, movie.com. And TalkSense Radio, The Meaning Connection. With host Mary Similuka and frequent contributor Alexander Vesley. Friday afternoons at 3, 2 central on toginet.com. More and more people today are discarding their quest for money, possessions, and things. And are instead beginning a serious quest to find meaning in life. Until now, these discussions were historically in the hands of priests, ministers, and scribes, then to philosophers, psychiatrists, and psychologists. Now, these deep discussions are where they should be, in the hands of individuals, on the air, with you. Talk Sense Radio, The Meaning Connection, with your host, Mary Similuka, and frequent contributor, Alexander Vesley. Friday afternoons at 3, 2 central, on toginet.com. Welcome back 
to iUniverse Radio with host Steve Jorgensen. The title of the book, I Am Diana, and the author is MJR, and Mike joins us now on iUniverse Radio. Hello, Mike. Hello, Steve. How are you? Well, this is going to be an exciting journey uh, back and forth from modern days to the 1690s. And you say this about your book, modern-day Manhattan artist Diana Dubois is experiencing Salem, Massachusetts of the 1690s in the most bizarre way possible, in nightly dreams that have the potential to kill her. She has spent a lifetime futilely seeking answers from the best doctors and finest hospitals and latest medicines and exhausting therapies. Uh, She's cursed with visions of death. Well, we'll just kind of leave it there and <laughs> talk more about this uh, very, very strange kind of story. Uh, the person's worst nightmare, obviously, because of we all know from history, Salem, Massachusetts of that time dealt with witches, and witches were burned at the stake, weren't they? They were, amongst other... Uh... Uh, punishments, you could say, uh, um, tortures to yes. to get them to confess. First of all, Mike, tell us about yourself and why you decided to uh, write this story. I just turned 49 years old uh, last week and uh, retired early uh, from business. I, I, I built sales companies and, and taught leadership concepts, those type of things. So I dealt with uh, building sales forces and, and working with CEOs, presidents, that kind of stuff to to help increase business, uh, to help them see the psychology behind what they did and uh, get teams to perform better together. So I spent quite a few years at that in various different businesses, worked with uh, in various different industries. And I unfortunately uh, have been diagnosed with arthritis, both of the both kinds, so both osteo and, and rheumatoid. And, you know, it, my patients just... just <laughs> You know, being in constant pain kind of wears on you a little bit, and I decided to change up my career. Um, though I was, uh, though I retired early, I was kind of searching around, taking on contracts, and uh, I'd always planned on being a writer. I always planned on sitting down and, and putting pen to paper um, and writing books. So I decided to move it up about 10 years, and uh, it was the greatest thing I've ever done. Um, I've been writing constantly now for close to three years, I guess. Um, I've done some contracts in the middle, but over the last year or so, it's been just constant. I don't do anything else other than read and edit and, and, and write. And uh, my third book will be coming out uh, in the, the new year. So I've been uh, quite a writing machine, you can say. This story's hung around with me. Since my high school days, grade nine to be exact, when I, I, I put in a thousand page story or a thousand uh, word story in, in English class, and uh, it was called I Am Diana Then, and uh, the premise was basically the same, and I always thought it was very interesting, and that if I had time, I would sit down and uh, turn it into a novel. So I found the time, and here is the novel. You call it a historically accurate fantasy, so you really have done research about this whole witch Salem, Massachusetts time. Very much, very much, Steve. I've researched everything I could possible. Um, 
reading, you know, what happened, where the towns were located, because most people don't know Salem City and Salem Town were actually two different places. Um, there's a lot of misinformation that we have that we think is common knowledge. And uh, they, every fact that I could check, everything that's in the book is actually, actually historically accurate, though the book is a fictional piece. Diana Dubois, tell us about Diana. Diana is a, a wonderful artistic girl, um, late, uh, you know, in her mid to late 20s, and a very attractive girl, but more of not your natural kind of beauty, more of your funky, um, cutting edge kind of girl that wears, likes to wear latex and lace. And uh, she's not really aware of, you know, how attractive she is. She really doesn't care. Uh, her life is a lot more let's say, scary than that. Uh, uh, it, it goes above what do I look like today into the fact of, you know, she's having dreams when she goes to sleep and unfortunately is inhabiting a body of, of, of a young lady back in Salem, Massachusetts in the 1690s who's been accused of witchcraft. So every time Diana actually goes into her sleep um, and goes into dreams, she ends up back in the body of this girl that is going through the most horrific things possible. Um, so Diana, you know, Diana, what she looks like in the mirror is not that important to her as opposed to what is happening every time she goes to bed. Terrifying nightmares, obviously, and she doesn't know what to do, but she searches out uh, this psychiatrist. Tell us about Dr. Raymond Williams. Uh, he's an interesting fellow. He has a little of... Uh, a little gift himself and you know through touch and this is a, a real thing here uh, through touch he can actually feel or sense uh, memories visions uh, from his patients he doesn't talk about it he doesn't advertise it he doesn't he isn't in the psychic world but he's you know used this gift through his uh, practice for years and uh, this is the first time it's really come into into play and what actually happens, she, they find each other, and uh, through this gift, he gets to experience somewhat what Diana's going through and is the very first doctor in her lifetime that doesn't think she's just crazy. Um, they go through this whole thing together along with the doctor's wife and, and his secretary and another friend of both uh, him and Diana's named Kat. Um, they experience this really together. They fight through as a team. And I want to stress that though this is set in Salem, Massachusetts, during the witchcraft trials, this isn't a, a book about magic. This isn't a book about the supernatural in that aspect. Um, this is the, re the real things that happened at that time. And the doctor's gift is a real gift. This happens. So this girl back in the 1690s, Margaret Darling. Yes. 18 years old and... She has, uh, looks like some, uh, interesting, uh, family needs and which seems to point out that she's real strange and that times even, you know, she lives in the forest. That's probably one of the problems. <laughs> well, it's a time, you know, during, it's a time of, of high superstition. Right. It is a time just after, uh, uh, a, a, a lot of people have been killed. Um, because of uh, being accused as witches. 
So it's the time just after that, that great trial and, and all the people that had lost their lives. Um, so she has a, lives in a community in the forest, and her family's been there for a long time. And, of course, because they choose to live there, regular town folk consider them quite eerie and strange as it begins. Um, her family, though they're quite self-sufficient, uh, needs supplies badly. It's been over six months since they've been into town for trading. And finally they decide that you know, there's, they have to go. And they send in Margaret as, as the least um, threatening of, uh, amongst them, but with the knowledge necessary to be able to trade the herbs and things that they, they use for trade uh, to get the wares back in return. So Margaret goes into town. And, you know, it's, it's just the wrong time to be from the forest and uh, uh, be present with, with such crazed attitudes uh, around in, in Salem at the time. Well, of course, um, I won't give away the whole story, but people find that they would like something that Margaret has, uh, which is why she gets accused of being a witch. Now, a prime antagonist in the city uh, against Margaret, who would that be? Uh, he's a gentleman, well, that's a losing, using the term very uh, loosely. Um, so it's Sir Theobald, and he has uh, come over from England where he's worn out his welcome. And in England, he spent time um, doing the dirty work of people with money, let's say. And he did it very effectively. And he just felt that uh, uh, England had gotten too small for him, and uh, it was time to make a change. He came over and basically uh, resumed life in, in Salem as an imposter, um, calling, giving himself the title of Sir. And uh, by doing so, he's moved into a manse of a gentleman that's moved back to England, and he's concocted a, a, a quite a conspiracy to, to get this manse and, and property. Well, so what are some of the key messages, what would you say, that you're sharing in this story? Um, you know, a number, a number of them, and I think the most important one is, is to, no matter what people think, you know, be true to yourself. I think that's very, very important. Um, no matter what happens in life, to, to get back up and, and, you know, fight for what you believe in, to stand true to yourself. Um, and, you know, don't go into town and walk down <laughs> the wrong streets. <laughs> Yes, it sounds like uh, that's very evident. Yeah, don't be the wrong place at <laughs> yeah. the wrong time. That's bad. Yeah, that is bad. So this has, I'm sure, many, many twists and turns and surprises. Uh, as a writer, uh, what advice would you give other would-be writers? I think my, my biggest advice is, you know, not to get caught up in what everybody else is doing. And, you know, I often heard, I study business, I build companies, and it's, it's what I've spent a lifetime doing. And how I was effective at it, and, and I did okay, that's for certain, but how I was effective at it was by not following what everybody else did, when not, by not following what everybody else always said. Now, that said, you still, I think you need to be a good writer. Um, you can't, you know, fake this. You need to be a good writer. I certainly used, uh, um, you know, many, many editors that uh, worked with me on this book and, and each one following. Um, so we had what I believe is, is, is quite a good book. Uh, that's very important. Now, 
that said, I haven't been jumping through all of the traditional writer's hopes that, uh, you know, everybody says that you have to do it. And if you always do what everybody else is doing, then you're in a very, very long line. I believe in getting out of the long line and, and moving myself into my own short line. So because I'm not afraid of, of, of marketing and selling and, and, and doing all of my own things for my book, I chose a different route and, and simply refused to jump through the hoops. Um, I think that the, the writer's world is moving more into that direction, and you need today to be more and more every part of the book. You're really running a small business. Um, you don't just get to be an author often when you're starting out today, and that's it, and then everybody else does the rest of the work. You really need to step across that line. You need to promote yourself. You need to market yourself. You need to sell yourself um, and do everything in between. And I believe anybody that's willing to do those things will find their success providing they write good material. Yes, that is the key, obviously. A great storyline. It sounds like you've captured one. Any closing thoughts, Mike, about I Am Diana? Uh, closing thoughts. You know, I, I believe that the story is, is very, very, very entertaining. And, and that's the key. I know that it is well written, and I don't take full credit for that because I worked with a number of editors to make sure that the book was at the caliber of anything on the market today. Um, hopefully, I guess the closing remarks is this. You know, I'm starting a new business, as many of the people listening to this are, or they're involved in a business, and though I've been at it a number of years already, you know, I know that beginning a new business takes time, and I've dedicated a good chunk of my life towards making this career go. This isn't a chance. It's not going to take off by accident. It's going to take off because I'm committed. And I, I simply ask everybody out there, if they enjoy it, you know, please put the remarks up. Um, please talk to their friends. Uh, please help a new business get started. And, you know, that's what I'm here for. The title of the book, I Am Diana. And the author is M.J.R. Mike, tell us how to get your book. It's available, of course, through the iUniverse site. Um, they have it on the Rising Star section, which I, I, I'm very happy to uh, have been awarded. Um, you can also get it through Amazon. Just type in MJR, and it, it'll come right up. Um, you can get it through Barnes & Noble, of course, and uh, any other sites that I've seen. I've seen it in chapters. I think there's a number of pretty much anything that you're using, you can get the book. They've done a great job of getting it out there. It comes in hardcover, softcover, and ebook. Mike, thanks for being with us on iUniverse Radio. Steve, you're very welcome. Thank you very much for your time. You're listening to iUniverse Radio. We'll be back right after these messages. Okay, we will. We're going to teach you how to tell your money where to go. It's Intelligent Investing with Pam Otten on Toginet. Learn how to be a savvy investor from someone who has your best interest at heart. Pam Otten is a financial advisor who loves to help successful business owners and entrepreneurs understand the mysteries of the investment world. And she's not afraid to share that knowledge. Pam is an unashamed Christian and qualified kingdom advisor, which means she's trained and committed to integrating biblical principles into her financial advice. Pam believes investing isn't rocket science. 
This is the financial advisor who's in your corner and truly understands and cares about you and helping you achieve your goals. Securities and advisory services are offered through LPL Financial, member FINRA SIPC. It's Intelligent Investing with Pam Otten on Toginet. Connect with Juliana and connect with what lies beneath. Friday afternoons at 4, 3 central on toginet.com. Juliana is a marriage, family, and child therapist who wants people to connect. Connect with what lies beneath, those truths and answers. And through her counseling practice, she has helped others find their personal power and fulfill their dreams. And she wants to do the same for you. Here on Connect with Juliana. Through intimate discussions, intriguing subject matters, and the expertise of her guests. For more on the show and Juliana, check out her webpage. Connect with Juliana in media.com. Juliana will cover it all. Nothing is off limits. She wants to know what matters to you. Make the connection. Tune into Toginet to connect with Juliana to find out the facts that could be hidden beneath the surface. Connect with Juliana on Toginet to make a quality connection in your life. Friday afternoons at 4, 3 central on toginet.com. Welcome back to iUniverse Radio with host Steve Jorgensen. The title of the book, Village Life in the 40s, Memories of a Lankan Expatriate, and the author is Arcadius. And Shelton joins us now on iUniverse Radio. Hello, Shelton. Yes. Good, Good to, morning. Good to have you with us. And this is uh, quite a journey back in time uh, when you were growing up in a poor village in Sri Lanka. Uh, you know, it's a story of those who basically raised you, right? I mean, a village yeah. raises the child, as you put it. Right. Okay, there are 26 biographical sketches in this book. Uh, the first book of your trilogy, this is the first one, Village Life in the 40s. Yeah. Well, uh, what was the motivation, Shelton, to write your book? I wrote this book in, uh, this book in 1965, when I was a reporter for the Ceylon Daily News. Uh, I came from a village which... Uh, enabled me to write things uh, that maybe of, might have been interest to the English reading public in Sri Lanka. There's a vast gap between the uh, villages and the towns in Sri Lanka at the time. The town folks were mostly English educated. Uh, so my idea was to convey village life to the English uh, educated audience. So I wrote them in English. Uh, and it was the time that I was just beginning to enjoy myself as a literary person uh, compared to my normal duties as a reporter for the Daily News. Uh, so I wrote them. And my mother helped me to shape some of those stories. Actually, she's really the raconteur par excellence of these stories. Uh, and I wrote uh, until the end of the year. And on to the next year, 1966, uh, when I went to the United States as a World Press Institute Fellow. So that was uh, something I tried out uh, 
mid-1960s. And when I came to this country, I should settle down. I thought of publishing them, but I had no time until uh, now, until my retirement. Until my retirement, I was thinking of doing this, but never did it. So finally, I got to publish them. That's the story behind the stories. Now, uh, give us the name of your village in Sri Lanka. What is it called? Atagama in Valigama. Okay. And Atagama is a uh, village. Valigama is the nearest town. And all big things happened in Colombo at the time, the capital city. Now, this was a very uh, sparsely populated village, a very rural area? Very rural. It's about, uh, we had to walk about three or four kilometers to get to the town, uh, to the village from the town. And we used to walk this uh, path every morning, going to school in the, in the town. We got our exercise by walking. <laughs> well, that, that always uh, pays off for uh, health and fitness, but I'm sure it was a challenge back then. Oh, yeah, I was a small kid then, about uh, 8 to 10 years old. And only one car was owned by a village, a village, a village teacher. That was the only car that the whole village had. Mm. There was a, a couple of gramophones. We had one gramophone in our home, which I used to play very loud to attract attention from the passers-by. That was the time when movies were just coming, streaming in uh, for us to enjoy the bioscope, the so-called bioscope at the time. And I have written about, about all these things in my sketches. So, what would be uh, what would be a few of the key uh, characters? Uh, that you focus on these autobiography, uh, autobiographical sketches of these people because they were key to your upbringing. Who would you say uh, was, besides your, your uh, parents, who would be one of the prime, prime uh, folks in the community that helped, helped you so much? Uh, so, so many people were helpful to me. The people who visited uh, our home, which was the home of the village headman, uh, enabled me to talk with these guys and know their quirks and oddities that I wanted to find a record. Very interesting. My uncle was the most colorful character at, at home. We call him Lokuma, uh, big banker. He is a man who went to Ghana uh, forces to fight the World War, Second World War, for the British. He had his adventures in, uh, in the Middle East. Came home and and bragged about them, about what he what he had done. And another person was Namba, another. A tall, well-built fellow who was not educated but still was affected to the army and went overseas, came back and returned to his uh, 
job as a tree climber. He used to pluck coconuts. Then there was Kambura, the Toritapa. Toritapa is a specially colorful character because he was considered a benefactor for many people who like to drink. And my grandfather was, who was a village husband, was, was in, in cahoots with him, engaged in some illegal storytelling. I wrote about that also. Then there was a cinnamon peeler uh, by the name of uh, Cinnamon Peeler was known as, let me check. Now there's Buddhist, uh, Taoist principle uh, that was a basis of living in, in this village, uh, this unity, diversity. The village temple was a gathering place every uh, full moon day for, for ceremonies. And I have written a sketch about that also when the high insertion ceremony of the of a new Buddha statue uh, was celebrated. There was, a, com there was competition to offer the first arms, thinking that it was meritorious, very meritorious to do the first arms offering. And there was a dispute that arose because uh, folks competed to take the first uh, offering to the Buddha. And that entailed a lot of hard burning and Disappointment among many, but the village rivalries were not very uh, long-lasting. They were temporary. People get, got together to help each other when in time of need. Uh, so that was that. My grandfather was a uh, was the father of three siblings. And he was a strange character. He was not in talking terms with his son. He's very strict, sir. And my uncle apparently joined the army because uh, he had been not uh, treated well at home. So there was a rivalry between the three siblings themselves. My, my mother was the eldest. She's a storyteller that I depended on to get most of the stories. Then the little fellow, my third uncle, second uncle, uh, went to teach in a remote village up north when he graduated from high school. There was another story about what happened in this new village where there was a schoolmaster, not the famous schoolmaster type in Goldsmith days, but uh, a funny character who was prone to pull tricks on people. So he gathered the village headman, village uh, irrigation headman, plus uh, another couple of devotees of the Buddhist temple, and went on a buggy ride to the, very, uh, to the temple. On the way, they got drunk and started dancing on the road and created a lot of 
funny activity in the village. People were curious what's happening. And that's, that became a story in my book, too. Uh, so, there are 26 such characters I have built upon. Plus two short stories in the book called The Village Life in the, in the 40s. Uh, there was the goldsmith, who was very, a very tricky dealer. He tried to exchange cheap, uh, cheap gold, make uh, gold, gold stuff for good money, and borrow money from the people, and never return them. So that's another story. Then there was the uh, village chaff. Two or three village chaffs are mentioned in the book. One is Atakota. Atakota is a short-handed fellow. He, he severed his forearm because of a gun, gun, gun accident. And he was a chief of a gang of robbers, all his sons. And his, one of the famous sons was Kaluapu. And his term of error I have described very eloquently and very funny reading. And sad too sometimes. You can call it sad because he was chopped off his head as one of the burglaries by his very in-law. That created a lot of fever uh, interest in the village. People celebrated it as if it was a New Year's Day, which is a very famous holiday in Sri Lanka. Uh, people played games and dressed the new, new, new clothing. All that to celebrate the single Simia, which is on, which is on April 13th, generally speaking. And when Haruapu died, people celebrated just like it was New Year's Day. There was another colorful character by the name of Bandaravela Bapa, uncle from Bandaravela, who came to the village to settle down while working in the Valley of the Post Office. And his antiques are also hilarious. <laughs> I wrote about that as well. Uh, then two fiction stories also appear in the book. One called uh, one, one on drought and rain, the other on the daydreamer who thinks of uh, his Romantic days when he was married to a young woman who died six years ago, six years previously, and he spends the whole daydream in the story I wrote. How does it bring hope to daydreamer? And what else? Well, that's quite a summary of uh, a lot of the biographical sketches of of these people that helped raise you and were important to you 
Uh, we've been listening to the author of his book, Arcadius, uh, Village Life in the 40s, Memories of a Lankan Expatriate. Uh, tell us how to get your book. You can get the book from uh, iUniverse directly by calling on 1-800-AUTHORS. You can get it from uh, Amazon.com. But simply type in my name or the title of the book. You can get it from barnesandnoble.com. Uh, they offer a cheaper uh, price sometimes than the retail price of uh, $20, $16 for the payback and $26 for the hardback. And you also can read the summary of it if you ch check in with Google. Google Books will take you to the spot you need. And order the book there, and as well as read the funny chapters, a couple of chapters that we produce online. So it's ready to go. Very good. Very good, Shelton. Well, thank you for being with us on iUniverse Radio. Thank you. iUniverse Radio is brought to you by iUniverse, the leading book marketing, editorial services, and supported self-publishing company iUniverse Radio is produced by TogiNet Radio. Radio with a cutting edge.